Hello. Welcome to the legend of Robin Hood of Sherwood. Chapter 3. A Party for Prince John Deep in the heart of Sherwood Forest, Robin of Loxley sat lost in thought. He'd led his motley band of men, just nine of them, away from Loxley Hall and into the heart of the wood. At the very centre of the huge forest was a large glade, which contained within it the largest oak in Sherwood. On the edge of the glade was a cave which offered the men some shelter from the elements. They had had to struggle through thick clumps of virtually impassable thorns, they'd passed densely packed beeches, elms and chestnuts, they'd navigated thick, gloopy marshes in which a man could be lost in seconds. Robin of Loxley decided that here they would be safe. There were so many natural barriers that the sheriff's men, or Guy of Gisborne's men, would not be able to get at them. As they entered the glade, Will Scarlet seemed to experience a moment of recognition. Robin of Loxley, he said, I think we've stumbled upon the robber's valley which they sing about in the old ballads. This is a good omen. We will be safe here. Robin nodded seriously and looked around. He motioned to Will, who called the rest of the men over to him. Much the miller's son, Gilbert of the White Hands and the rest, drew up silently and sat down. Robin spoke. We are all free men, he announced. None of you are serfs and all of you are free to come and go as you please. But if you want to stay here with me, then we must have some rules. We must find a code by which to live. These are the rules, my friends. Stick by them and we will succeed. The men looked up at Robin with anticipation. He continued. First, you must never hurt a woman. Protect and shield all women and come to their aid when they're in peril. Second, never do harm to a common man. The yeoman and the serf must be kept from all harm. Knights and squires who are kind to the poor and not proud must be allowed to go about their business without interference. But this I tell you, and listen to me well. Noblemen and knights who prey upon the poor men, abbots, bishops, priors, canons and monks who hide behind their church and take from the common people, the sheriff and his men, and all others who do service for the evil Prince John, none of these shall be safe. We will accost them, kidnap them, tie them up and rob them. Anything we gain will be given back to the lowly people from whom it was taken in the first place. We will right the wrongs of this land. Robin of Loxley pulled his hood over his head and drew his sword as he finished his speech. The men cheered. Will Scarlet stood up and led them in their chanting. They called for Robin of Loxley and they sang about the good they would all do. Robin, his face shielded, held his sword above his head somewhat theatrically. Finally, Will motioned for them to be silent. Solemnly, he filled their wooden cups with the wine he had managed to rescue from his home. He lifted the glass towards their leader, and the rest of the motley band followed suit. "'Drink with me, fine fellows,' he said. "'Raise your glass for the good King Richard, for you, brave fellows, the merry men of Sherwood, and for Robin.' As he said these words, Robin uncovered his head. Will Scarlet grinned as he did, and uttered the words that would spark a legend. "'To you, sir,' he said and bowed. Then he turned to the men. Raise your glasses to Robin Hood. They did. Many more cups of wine were drunk that day. The next day, the prior of Newark rode through the edge of the forest with a dozen mules packed with baggage. Sherwood had always been safe, and there were only a couple of armed guards protecting the baggage train. When Robin and his nine merry men leapt out at them from behind the cover of the trees, they both fled for their lives. Two kegs of very fine wine and four hundred marks of gold were taken from the prior. The churchman was quite furious. 
his pompous complaint simply made the men laugh as they bound him and his monks to their own mules with their own rope. "'How dare you rob the church, you hooded rascal!' exclaimed the prior. "'I'm not robbing the church,' answered Robin as Will Scarlet sniggered. "'I'm robbing a fat crook who has disgraced the church. Now have a nice journey home.' Robin patted the lead mule and it moved off slowly from the direction in which it had come. Later that day, the tethered churchman arrived back in Newark to much general merriment from the townsfolk. And so the fame of Robin Hood grew in the county of Nottinghamshire and beyond. He and his merry men robbed the corrupt rich and gave the gains to the starving poor. As his notoriety grew, the price on his head grew with it. Prince John himself learned of the exploits of the man of Sherwood. The Sheriff of Nottingham vowed to bring this renegade outlaw to justice, and Sir Guy of Gisborne plotted his downfall. All the while, the band of merry men slowly grew. They took to wearing uniforms of Lincoln Green. They were trained in the use of the bow by Robin and Will. Fine swordsmen amongst their number tutored the others in the arts of fencing and the use of the quarterstaff. Winter came, and then spring. Robin and his band grew more daring and accosted larger and more heavily armed parties. Soon, though, Robin decided it was time to raise the stakes. His chance came when a potter from the town of Mansfield rode his cart through the forest on the way to Nottingham to sell some pots. "'That's a heavy load you carry,' said Robin to the potter. The potter of Mansfield was a touch startled. "'Get out of my way, sir, before I run you over.' "'No,' replied Robin. "'I need to strike a bargain with you. "'I want to be the potter for a day. "'Sell me these pots for the price you would ask in Nottingham, "'and I will give you two gold marks as security for the horse and cart. "'Lend me your clothes, too. "'I want to go to Nottingham in disguise.' The potter, rather unsurprisingly, was very happy to do the deal. In one stroke he sold more pots than he would have done in a whole day in the city. He grinned as he undressed and handed everything, pots, horse, cart and clothes, to Robin Hood. Then he sat down under a tree and had a little nap. Robin rode quickly to Nottingham. Then he set up his stall and began to sell pots. He was knocking them out at ridiculously low prices and soon he'd sold the lot apart from twelve large dishes, the best of his stock. Deciding that the time was right, Robin crossed the market square and knocked on the door of a great house. The door opened and a serving woman peered quizzically at him. "'I would like to give these dishes fine in quality to the mistress of the house as a present,' said Robin, bowing a little and smiling ingratiatingly. "'Tell your master that the potter of Mansfield brings a gift.' The woman went into the house. A couple of minutes later she returned. "'Good potter!' My master thanks you for the gift. He invites you to eat with him. This was just what Robin had hoped would happen. He was led into the dining hall and sat down with the sheriff's men. There he ate and listened to the conversation at the top table. I'll give forty gold marks. Get the town crier to shout it out in the streets now. Forty? That's a lot for any man's head. But this man's dangerous, said the sheriff. He killed seven of Sir Guy of Gisborne's men and made the great knight a laughing stock. Seventy men he had, seventy, and then he robbed the good prior of Newark in broad daylight. And more, many more. No nobleman is safe in Sherwood these days. Today his name will be called throughout Nottingham. Forty marks I will give to anyone who captures him, dead or alive. Robin smiled to himself. There had been nine of them, not seventy. But notoriety breeds exaggeration, and this was no bad thing as far as Robin was concerned. Let them fear him and his men, 
it could only make their work easier. He stood up and approached the table. Thank you for the good food, my Lord Sheriff. Now I must make my way back to Mansfield. I will be sure to be careful. I don't want to fall prey to this vicious outlaw. It's a good thing you've put a price on his head. I bid you good day. Robin rode back to Sherwood. He gave the potter of Mansfield his horse and cart, and then rode thoughtfully to the glade. The price on his head was significant. The stakes were raised. Robin Hood was now the most notorious outlaw in Nottinghamshire. As he approached his home in the centre of the forest, Robin began to smile. He realised it wasn't enough just to be doing good works, robbing from the corrupt and giving to the needy. He needed to rub the sheriff's nose in it. He needed to humiliate Sir Guy. There was no point in simply being a famous outlaw. It needed to be fun too. He took to going in disguise to Nottingham every now and then just to hear the gossip. A few weeks after his visit to the sheriff, he and Will Scarlet were walking through the city when they detected shouting and laughing. Intrigued, they made their way towards the noise. As they drew closer to the crowd, they heard the familiar tones of the town crier. Oh yea, oh yea, good people of Nottingham, the worshipful sheriff wants everyone here present to know that on Shrove Tuesday, that is to say in just a week, a shooting match will take place here in the square at Nottingham. Not only this, gentle townsfolk, present among us will be our most splendid lord, his royal highness, the Prince John. The magnificent regent of England has condescended to honour us with his presence. Will Scarlet and Robin Hood looked at each other and grinned. Their mirth was short-lived, though. As they made their way out of the square, a man approached them. It was Dickon Barleycorn, a recipient of Robin's generosity. He recognised the two outlaws. He got up with them and spoke quietly but urgently. Master Robin, I must warn you. The Sheriff, Sir Guy of Gisborne and many others are plotting against you. Stay away from this contest. No good can come of it. If the warning made any impression at all on Robin, he didn't show it. But Dickon was right. At that very moment, Sir Guy of Gisborne was sitting at a table in his castle, plotting with a man called Oswald Mondragon. A dastardly scheme was being wrought. He knew Robin of Loxley would not be able to resist a shooting match, and he planned to catch him in the act of treason and have him hanged. On the day of the match, Robin awoke full of excitement. Now this, he said to Will, is the kind of day which was created for an archery contest. Robin was right. The sun shone brightly. Even through the canopy of the forest, shards of delicious sunlight lit up the undergrowth. In the square in Nottingham, a great grandstand had been erected. No expense had been spared. Luxurious purple cloth and soft downy cushions decorated the largest and most comfortable of the seats. Not that the cushions could be seen, because the seat was filled by a bearded man dressed in the finest silk and ermine. If that wasn't enough to signal his identity, then the crown on his head was a dead giveaway. Prince John sat, looking slightly bored, stroking his beard. He tried to pretend he was enjoying himself and waved to the crowd every now and then. He turned to the sheriff, sitting in the chair to his right. You seem to have spent a lot on this gathering, he sneered, waving his arm airily. Perhaps Nottingham's too rich and I need to increase the taxes. The prince chuckled at his little jibe. The sheriff grimaced and then tried to cover up the grimace with a smile. Secretly he cursed Sir Guy for devising this little plot. It had better work, he thought to himself. Then he motioned to Sir Guy, who was standing a few feet away, to get his men to mingle in the crowd and get them to raise some cheers for their honoured guest. 
he wanted to take the prince's mind off his tax-gathering idea. A few moments later, great cheers rose from the crowd. The prince smiled and deigned to wave smugly back. Robin of Loxley, incognito in the crowd, felt a wave of indignation wash over him. He called together some of his friends in the crowd. Friends, will you raise a cry for our rightful king? They all nodded, and before long a lusty cry of Long live King Richard was heard from the middle of the throng. The prince went pale and tugged at the sheriff's robe. Treachery, he spat. You promised me I'd be safe here in Nottingham. Oh, don't worry, my lord, soothed the sheriff. There are a few Saxon scoundrels here, as there are everywhere, but the barons are loyal, loyal to you. Anyway, settle back and enjoy the show. The tournament's about to begin. Prince John gazed over the crowd, clearly bored by the whole thing. His mood didn't improve as the sport began. Match after match took place. The crowd loved it, but all John could see was arrows hitting targets, arrows missing targets, bows being raised, bows being lowered. As far as he was concerned, there was nothing more dull than a shooting match. Still, the people demanded sport, and they seemed to like it. It was no skin off his nose. He may as well endure it in order to improve his popularity. Despite this, he was virtually asleep by the time the last match began. The winners of the day's earlier contests faced each other. Forty of them lined up in groups of five and loosed their arrows. Each group produced a winner, and so eight men were left to compete for the final prize. The last round began. Five men shot, and each of their arrows hit the target near the centre. No one was quite there, though, until up stepped Will Scarlet. Robin's right-hand man, now nearly as notorious as Robin himself, was heavily disguised. He raised his bow and fired. The arrow curved a perfect arc and embedded itself in the target, less than an inch from the centre of the bullseye. The crowd, many of whom knew who the skilled archer was, cheered very loudly. Then came Walter of Weybridge, one of the sheriff's men. He launched his bolt and managed to land it a fraction inside Wills. The crowd groaned. Finally it was the turn of Robin Hood. He stood for a moment and looked at the faces in the crowd. Many of them were his friends. Many others had received gifts from the takings of his robberies. For a moment he felt a sting of anguish as he wished for the return of King Richard and better, freer times. He pushed the feelings aside and raised his bow. He had never shot a truer bolt. The arrow landed with a satisfying thud right in the centre of the target. The crowd surged forwards and Robin was lost in the throng, and then the whole place seemed to go mad. Oswald Mondragon threw himself at the prince. John was startled and about to call for the nobleman's head when he realised what had actually happened. Buried in the back of his chair, where he'd been sitting a few moments before, was an arrow. The arrow had green feathers, the signature of Robin Hood. Sir Guy of Gisborne strode forward. Treachery is among us. Every soldier here, grab your arms and seize Robin of Loxley. This arrow here proves that he's among us and he's tried to murder our beloved Prince John. John himself crouched down behind the seating and whimpered. Guy of Gisborne's agent, the man who had actually shot the arrow, melted into the crowd. Sir Guy's plan had worked. If the price on Robin's head had been high before, now it would be enormous. If they could catch him there and then in Nottingham, then the prince would demand he was hanged immediately. Problem solved. Run for your life, shouted Will Scarlet. Robin Hood tried to run, but there were Norman soldiers barring his way. Armed only with a woodsman's dagger, he slashed at the soldiers and tried to run. 
but there were too many of them, and they wounded him before catching hold of him. Bleeding heavily from a gash in his arm, Robin summoned up his remaining strength and wrenched himself free. Saxons, every one of you, show your loyalty, yelled Will. The crowd needed no further bidding. To a man they obstructed the soldiers and prevented them from getting to Robin. Robin and Will just about cleared the gates before they were shut. As they fled towards Sherwood, it became clear that Robin was badly wounded. A few moments later, he proved it by fainting over his horse's neck. Will Scarlet was faced with a choice. He could try to rescue Robin and face almost certain capture, or he could ride back to the glade and summon the rest of the men. Maybe then they could rescue their leader. Of course, really, there was no choice. Will galloped over to his master and, in a single movement, grabbed him from his horse. He precariously mounted the stricken outlaw in front of him on his own horse. Then he spurred his mount forward and prayed the beast would have enough energy to propel them to safety. The two outlaws reached the edge of the forest, still about half a mile ahead of their pursuers. By now Will knew the way to the glade without having to think about it. Once they penetrated the woodland, they were safe. The thickets, swamps and impenetrable undergrowth were too much for the soldiers, and they were soon hopelessly lost. Many of them spent an uncomfortable night outside, before trudging out the following morning. When they reached the glade, Will lifted Robin from his horse, laid him on the ground and gave him some water. Robin revived just a little. Will, on the other hand, collapsed with exhaustion. Robin Hood looked over at his friend with a new respect. You should have saved yourself. You took a big risk. Will Scarlet said nothing. He simply smiled a weak smile. Then he fell into a deep sleep. Loyalty, it seemed, was very tiring. Next time, Robin and the men of Sherwood will face their first attack from Sir Guy of Gisborne and they'll be joined by a little man. If you enjoy the podcast, or if you'd just like to leave feedback, then please friend me on Facebook, Paul Vincent Myth and History, or you can contact me by email, mythandhistory at gmail.com. Please go to the website for the podcast, www.mythandhistory2.podbean.com. There you will find a donation button. The podcast is, of course, free and will always remain so, but any help with hosting costs is always welcome. So, have a great couple of weeks, and I'll speak to you next time.